How many of you like the series um, that's been out and it's coming back out and they're redoing it called Planet Earth that David Attenborough is the narrator of? It's the series that we see creation and we see animals and we see them living and there's something about it. It could just be his voice, quite honestly, uh, that gets us inspired in it. And sometimes it's really scary things where we see animals hunting other animals. But often it is just the beauty of the planet Earth that has shown this miraculous creation. And we'll sit and watch it. And at moments, our jaws just sort of drop with the beauty that is there. It's amazing. I'm so glad they do it. When I was a kid, my family was at a camp in New Mexico. And there was a hill that was called, it was really, they attempted to call it a mountain, but it wasn't quite high enough to be a mountain. Maybe it was. It's called El Porvenir. And we took a track one time up to the top of El Porvenir. And once we got to the top and got to the edge of it, we looked down and underneath us were storm clouds. It was high enough for storm clouds to be below us. And as we were looking at the storm clouds, they would lightning and thunder, and the electricity would just shoot through the clouds that were underneath us. We stood above it, looking at it. It was amazing. It was also very confrontive and powerful because there were moments where that lightning would strike the mountain that we were on and hit, and we would see rocks break free. And we would think, wow, (laughs) that is powerful. So much so that at one point it caused me to fall down when it hit. Not down this way, thank goodness, but down the other way. So amazing to see that miraculous, wonderful thing. We're quite lucky here in Fremantle because most evenings we get to see a sunset that paints the sky so many different colors. So beautiful, so awe-inspiring. And so today what we're going to talk about is as a people and as a church, those of us who follow Christ, we should have a posture of awe. Now the interesting thing about this, as I began to work on this sermon, is I discovered that the emotion of awe has come into its own in psychology and biomechanics and all sorts of areas of science, that they've all begun to try and figure out what all is and what it produces. Dr. Paul Piff, in the Journal of Personalities and Social Psychology, says this about all. He says that it's the sense of wonder we feel in the presence of something vast that transcends our understanding of the world, oftentimes in nature or religion or art, or music. Now think for a minute. When are moments that you felt awe? Perhaps it was the birth of a child and that little hand just reaches up and grabs yours. And that's awe-inspiring. Perhaps 
you're in a stadium that holds 60,000 people and a band comes out onto the stage and the lights explode and the first strums of the guitar happen and you go, whoa, wow, that's amazing. Perhaps it's when your child jumps up on a surfboard for the first time and rides just for a little bit and you think, Maybe they can get it. Something vast, something beyond, something that we couldn't imagine, and it comes at us. It transcends us. The two people that really started this were two folks named Kilter and Haddett. And in 2003, they did a study about what awe does. And they came to the conclusion that the emotion of awe may be one of the fastest and most powerful methods of personal change and growth. They thought to themselves by looking at the vastness of the world out there that it causes us to have to accommodate the vastness somehow. So we experience something that's so beyond us, transcends any of our knowledge, that then our minds and our hearts have to accommodate what that is. And it causes us to change and have growth. Piff says again this, that experiencing awe, people felt smaller, less important, and they behaved in a more pro-social fashion. That was the title of his journal entry, which was Awe and Pro-Social Behavior. Pro-social means for the good of all, <laughs> for the good of all people. And what he's saying is that awe, when we see the vastness of the world, when something comes at us and changes us, that we most likely move to the place that we feel less self-important about ourselves and we behave more pro-social. Now, just so you don't think, oh, well, psychologists and sociologists and all those people are talking about it, that's academia and that's far out there, I'll let you know that BuzzFeed, where we get all of our information now on the internet, actually looked at these articles, and they said there are five things that are good about all that happen to us when we experience it. The first one is that it gives us a better understanding of time. One of the studies talking about all is that when we understand the vastness of the world and we move into accommodating it, it causes us to go, that thing that I think is so immediately needed to happen might not need to happen so quickly. <laughs> that it causes us to look at time and not feel as rushed or put upon. It also says that in a sense of all, it causes us to want to be more creative. BuzzFeed says that it also wants us to connect with nature. That's probably because a lot of times we feel awe, we see it in nature. It also wants us, we want to be transformed by it. it. It causes us to say there's something about me that needs to change in order to understand or fit in or accommodate the vastness that I've just experienced. And it produces hope and a desire for a better life when we have awe. Now, 
That's pretty amazing, from 2003. It has moved from being this sort of emotion that's been off to the side to where it's moved in to a category in social sciences that they say this is an emotion we really need to understand. So it wasn't thought about like happiness or anger or sadness. But now it has moved to the place where they're saying, yeah, oh, we need to think about it. But God's known this all along. Because he's the one who created us to be people who need the posture of awe. That's what Psalm 95 is all about. It's about awe and worship. Tozer, who's a pastor, says this. Worship is to feel in our hearts and express in some appropriate manner a humbling but a delightful sense of admiring awe, an astonished wonder, an overpowering love in the presence of the most ancient mystery, the majesty which philosophers have called the first cause, but which we as followers of Christ call our Father who art in heaven. That a posture of awe moves us to a place of understanding the vastness of God and his creation, and we begin to accommodate to meet it. And God does the work for us in that. So we're going to look at Psalm 95, and we're going to see what awe produces if we have that posture. The first thing that awe produces for us is an attitude of humility. When we have a posture of awe, we step into a place of humility. Social scientists have said we begin to think less about ourselves, not so highly about ourselves. Psalm 95 puts it this way in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. We move to a place of humility, knowing that we're not all that in a bag of chips. We're not the ones that the world is centered around, that all of what happens in life is not focused on us, but that there is something beyond us that the world and what life is focused on. That we no longer feel like we have to always get our way. We always have to be heard. Our cause always has to be recognized. Why? Because we see something beyond us. Psalm 95 says it's the Lord, our God, our maker, and it causes us to bow down. That's a scary thing for us to do, to bow down, to be humble. But awe moves us in that direction. And not only does Scripture say that, but social science says that. So that's the first thing that awe produces, this posture of awe. The second thing that it produces is an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, Praise springs from a place of thanksgiving. Listen to what he says here. He says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. See, first we recognize who we are, so we're humbled by coming into this presence, by our posture of all. But then we move to a place of thanksgiving, because here this vast, mighty, creative God longs to be in personal relationships with us. As we say over and over again, he's in a redemptive pursuit of us. He comes after us and for us. And what springs from our heart is thanksgiving to say thank you. 
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for giving me the good things that are in this world that I get to see and experience and be a part of. And so our heart moves to a place where we can't help but be overflowing with thanksgiving. So we have an attitude of humility because we see who God is and we know who we are. We have an attitude of thanksgiving because we have been given much by God and our response is to give thanks to Him. All The posture of all also produces in us an attitude of expectation. Why? Because this vast, mighty, beautiful, righteous God who created the world and knows everything about us and who we are has chosen to redeem us, to pursue us. And in that pursuit, we have an attitude of thanksgiving, but we know that if God can do that, then He can do so much more. That if the beauty of the sunset that I get to see every day gives me some glimpse of who God is, then I can expect greatness from this God. And so I don't walk around thinking, well, maybe something good will happen. I walk around believing and knowing and expecting because God is present. He is active and He is still working. We move into a place where we can't help but expect God to be God (laughs) because He always has been and He always will be. And not from a distance, but a God who is in a relentless pursuit for us. So awe produces an attitude of humility, an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of expectation, and it also produces for us an attitude of justice. See, it's when we see the vastness of God and His pursuit of humanity, when we understand that He is the creator of the world, He has ordered all things, we recognize, as Tozer says, that God is not about justice, but God, in fact, is justice. And when we recognize that God is justice, then our attitude, as we're in a posture of all, moves to that place where we seek justice, not for ourselves, but for all those around us. That we see people who are abused and downtrodden, and we know that the creator of them would not want that. And so how do we step into their place, into their life, and bring freedom, and bring care, and bring courage? How do we stand up for them? What does it look like? Well, the first place it looks is that we're in awe of a God who loved them and created them and desires for them to receive only the justice that he's provided through the cross. He picks it up with Christ and he says, I have set people free. So we have an attitude of humility, an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of expectation, an attitude of justice. And then the last thing we have is a place of protection. When we have a posture of awe, we step into a place of protection. Now the interesting thing about this psalm is that it was always sung for the, uh, um, the uh, uh, oh, what's it called? The ordination, not the ordination. It's when, when a king is, is uh, crowned. Coronation, yes, thank you. <laughs> we don't do that often in the States. Uh, 
just going to hold off for a second. I've, I've got a, two jokes that I don't need to say <laughs> about coronation, so we'll let those slip through my mind now. All right, so a coronation. So when the kings of Israel were being coronated, when they were being set aside, this is a psalm that was sung for them. Not for them, but recognizing, right, that in awe of God, he has set them in that place. So there's protection that comes in that. But there's also a reminder, and we didn't say that this part of the psalm in our passage, so listen, listen to it, because it's hidden, almost. There's this great praise, this great movement of all, this great posture that comes about. And then he says this. Today, right, you heard this part, if you hear his voice, meaning God, it says, do not harden your hearts as Mabah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who have gone astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You were just telling us, Lee, about this God that's gracious, this God that's in a relentless pursuit of us, this God that wants to redeem us, this God that loves us. Yes, that's right. But this does not contradict that. And here's why. Because what this is telling us about is the Israelite nation, who you remember that the Israelite nation was held captive in Egypt. And then Moses comes as God's emissary, and brings them out of captivity. And they go into the wilderness. It, it is God's pattern of redemption that he seeks after us and pulls us out of slavery and brings us to freedom. But they turned away. They forgot the freedom that they were walking in. <laughs> they thought that things were better back in Egypt. And they grumbled. They saw the works that God had done. They had experienced his vastness. But in their heart, they didn't make room and accommodate. They didn't shift and change. They didn't let themselves be renewed. Instead, they thought, no, we were slaves and we'll always be slaves, and that's the way that we should be, and that's the safest thing. And believe me, if you were the Israelite nation and you were walking with God, who was a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day, you were walking, following God into the wilderness and you saw the Red Sea open up and you walked across on dry land and you turned around and you saw Pharaoh and his men get drenched and drowned. You might be a little nervous as well. Because a posture of awe sets us into a place where we are confronted with our desire to be God ourselves. And when we desire to be God ourselves, we are so slammed into slavery. We're taken back to Egypt. That was their desire. It was so much safer there. And it is. It is, but it leads to death. Being in a posture of all gets us to the place where we see God high and lifted up and it lifts us up. And we don't do it because we want to be lifted up. We do it because we know now that we were created for it. 
I think one of the most interesting things about the posture of awe is this, is that it helps us accomplish all the other postures we had talked about. The posture of rest, the posture of create, the posture of care, the posture of go, the posture of for, and the posture of welcome. All of those are helped, are empowered when we have a posture of awe. Just take the BuzzFeed article. All relates to this. If it changes our perception of time when we experience all, then we can understand we have time to rest. If when we experience all, it causes us to want to be creative, then it helps us be in a posture of create. If it helps us want to be connected with nature, then it helps us understand that we're to care for God's creation because it's good and care for all those who have been created by God. And last, if it gives us hope, it wants us to transform our lives, and it gives us meaning in our life, then it gives us reason to stand in a posture of for and welcome and to go. I'm sort of dense sometimes. I don't get things so quickly. So it's good that men and women have gone before me and written things out that I can read <laughs> and reread and maybe even memorize. One of those things is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's helpful as a reminder of who God is and who I am. And question number one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, what is the chief end of man? What's man's purpose? Why was he created? Chief man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Tozer said this, Worship is man's full reason for existence. Worship is why we are born and why we are born again. God created us to be worshipers and He brings us into new life so that we can be worshipers. He wants us to be in a posture of all where we are experiencing. Um, I think I might be an adrenaline junkie if I didn't have a wife and five children. You know what an adrenaline junkie is? It's somebody who wants to do extreme things to get this rush of excitement, you know, like jumping out of planes with parachutes or uh, paragliding or... Uh, getting on a trail with a bike, maybe not a bike, I'm not a really good bike rider, but, and, you know, just zipping through things. Swimming with sharks. Catching bullets in your teeth. No. There's all sorts of things that you can do to get adrenaline. I, I think I would do that, except I have five children and a wife, and I think success is staying around for them. A posture of awe should move us to a place where we are all junkies. <laughs> where we can't help but look and see and wait and anticipate and long to see God's glory. So that we can go, ah, <laughs> yes. People started talking about awe earlier than 2003 great psychologist Maslow, in a book that he wrote called Religion, Values, and Peak Experiences, said this. 
sacred because he believed that religious experience, sacred experience, was some of the most powerful peak experiences you could have. He said, sacred is in the ordinary. That is to be found in one's daily life, in one's neighbors, friends, and family, in one's backyard. We have the ability, because God moves us, as Ephesians 2 tells us, out of death into life, and he builds us together to be a temple of worship. That with one another, we are in a posture of awe at all times. And that we see in what is seemingly ordinary about the world, in our relationships with the people who are in our lives, in just the simple beauty of life happening, that even in the tragedy we can see God's wondrous love and power. And it moves us to a place of Psalm 95 that says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let's pray. Lord, you are good to us. Let these words be your words. If they are not your words, we ask that they burn up, that they go away. But if they are your words, Lord, we pray that they will take root in our lives, that they will bear fruit, fruit that will give you glory and enable us to enjoy you forever. Jesus, it's in your name. You made this possible, we pray. Amen.